0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. And all of you who are online worshiping with us today, we, we thank God for you, wherever you are in the world. We're so grateful that you're with us today, and the Missouri City campus as well. Well, my two favorite baseball teams are playing each other in the American League Championship Series, and it sure looks like it's going to the Astros, but we got to wait for the last two games. Whoever it is that gets into the World Series, that's my favorite, and I'm hoping that that team goes to all all the way. It could be the Astros and Phillies again, which would be a remake of last year, and I feel so sorry for the Phillies, but I think I know how that's going to turn out. Uh, We are doing some special things with the Friday E-News, and we've asked if you would sign up for the Friday E-News. This last week, this last Friday, I shared some things about Israel and where I stood on that and some videos, uh, short videos. These videos are only five or ten minutes long, and I hope that you'll take a look at it, and I'd appreciate it. Please keep Israel and the Palestinian people. The Palestinian people are just sort of caught in between, if you really actually know the story in between, and I'm asking that we pray for both of these groups, uh, for their protection and for the resolution of this issue. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that um, there is a beautiful garden, Maybe this garden is in your yard. It's, a, it's in somebody's yard, either the front yard or the backyard, and the, bl- the flowers are amazing. Take a look at this picture. Maybe it looks something like this. Oh, my soul. Wouldn't that be amazing? The gardeners have put so much time and energy into this garden, and they've worked so hard, and all these beautiful flowers are a result of their hard work. But one day, as they are perusing through the garden, they discovered that there is a weed. It's just short. It's very small. It's nothing to be concerned about. They don't really have time. It's no big deal. And they go their way. But when they come back, maybe a week later, that weed is humongous. It has grown so fast. They've underestimated the strength of the weed. So immediately they go, and they cut the weed down right at the ground level. But they don't dig it up. They don't dig the roots up. Little do they understand that those roots are sort of like poison to the flowers. This particular weed, the roots are going every direction and they're sort of like poison the roots of these flowers, and all of a sudden, there is a flower that dies, and another one dies, and another one dies, and they're thinking, what in the world is going on? What have I not done? What could I do differently? i got to save my flowers, but no matter what they do, all the flowers in that section all die. They gave so much to this, and now it's gone. Now, this little story is really just a parable and the parable is actually about us so I'm asking you to think of this story this way you're the gardener and I'm the gardener all of us are the gardeners of our own garden and the flowers all represent our relationships and we've got such great relationships. We put a lot of time and energy into the relationships of our life. It's our spouse. It's our children, our parents, our extended family members. It's, it's people at church that we have a great relationship with. It's at, at work, at school, wherever we are. And we put a ton of energy into growing up these relationships. And a weed appears. It's nothing. No big deal. Don't worry about it. It's just so small. But to our surprise, that weed grows so fast. And when we realize it, we we try to deal with it. Okay, well, we got a problem in this. Our relationships, I got to deal with it. We cut it off at the ground level, but we don't dig up the roots. And what we don't realize is that the roots are spanning out in every direction, and it's beginning to poison. One relationship after another. The Bible says in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, be careful that no poisonous root of bitterness springs up in you. If it does, it will bring damage to your life, and it will ruin your relationships. It's the subject of bitterness that I want to talk about today. We're in a series that is entitled Healing Broken Relationships. And the truth is, when you're looking in the Bible, you'll see all kinds of references to the subject of bitterness and how it impacts not just the person that we become embittered against, but other relationships in our life because we began to change. The roots of that bitterness are going further than we ever dreamed. They're, they're, They're like poison to the relationships in our life. And that is really what Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 32 are about. We're in a series, Healing Broken Relationships, that are in the last part of chapter 4 of Ephesians and the first part of chapter 5. And this morning, I want to talk to you about two bitterness, and back. I never really understood the idea that bitterness is a process that has different places along the way that at any time we could have stopped, but we didn't. But it's in this passage that we actually see the six step process of bitterness. Look at what he says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Six points. Uh, In in, uh, my seminary time, in my master's degree, one of the classes that we was on how to build a Bible study or a sermon, and there's a lot of steps, and so we sort of learned how to walk through those steps, and one of the steps is that you go to the passage, and you get all of the major words in that passage. You write them out on a piece of paper. You go to a dictionary, an average, ordinary dictionary, and you get the definition of every one of these words. So I was going through the process. I was going to teach on this passage, and I was going through the process. And all six of these words were obviously on the list. And when I was getting the definitions of them, it was like a revelation to me. I mean, I had never seen it before. All these steps were different steps in the digression to a deep-seated bitterness and resentment and the aftermath of it. And so that's what I want us to look at. How do we get ourselves into a bitterness? Well, the first step is anger. We get angry at somebody. Last week we talked about anger and we heard the verse that said, be angry and don't sin. It's possible to be angry at somebody. And it's not a sin. The anger is called orge, that's the first word that the Bible has for the word anger orge, and it means a righteous indignation. And it means somebody, a righteous indignation, somebody has wounded you. They have done something against you, or someone that you love. And sometimes the anger is even more with it's somebody that we love. They've uh, restricted rights or whatever, the harmful thing they've done, and maybe it is with somebody else and we get angry, it just sort of rises up in us. Do you remember Jesus on the Temple Mount? And there were the money changers there, it was the Passover season, and the money changers were there, and people were coming from all the world from different places. They had different kinds of money from different areas of the Roman Empire. And they would come and exchange that money for shekels because everything had to be, in Hebrew, money those money changers would cheat them they would actually steal from the people and they were doing it in the name of God as though such a thing could happen Jesus was angry because those guys were cheating other people but he was also angry because God intended the temple to be the house of worship they were making it a house of merchandise so Jesus in anger overturned their tables and drove those money changers out of the temple. He didn't commit a sin. Anger is not automatically a sin. What the Bible said last week when we were looking at it is that anger doesn't become a sin unless we let it go too far and too long. If we will limit its intensity and we will limit its duration, it's fine. It's when we go too far. That it becomes a sin. uh, The second word that is in Greek for anger is paragosmos, which is a long word. I'm going to give you a little time to get all that written down, but paragosmos, and it is actually sort of a simmering kind of anger. It's it's sort of being like a pressure cooker. I used illustration last week, a pressure cooker. You got a flame under it. You can't see anything that's going on inside that pressure cooker because there's a lid on it and tied it down and all that. You can't see from the outside what's going on inside. And there are many people that we don't see what's going on inside them. They've got a simmering anger and it's getting stronger and stronger. Don't know it until boom, it explodes. And we're wondering, where did that come from? But it is a simmering anger that turns into the third word, thumos, which is a volcano. Because I didn't deal with the issue very well. How do we get anger? This is me. It's not not in the Bible, but it's just me. It seems to me, from just living a little while, it seems to me that anger comes when someone violates a boundary in our life. We all have boundaries. We can't even articulate them. We don't even know all the boundaries. We sort of learn more boundaries as we live. And then we're really surprised. Ooh, I didn't know I had a boundary there. But somebody crossed that boundary, and all of a sudden, you know, there's an anger that sort of emerges. So let me give you an illustration, a personal illustration. Have you ever encountered a close speaker, talker, a close talker? Have you ever encountered somebody like that? Now, I had never, but one day a years ago in another church at the end of the sermon somebody came up and wanted to talk to me and i said sure and this person came right here no i'm serious i want to do sidelines so you see just how close they came right here i was what when we talk to people don't we isn't it like two feet or three feet we it's not like there's a rule but don't we just sort of give some breathing room to other people. And especially if somebody has bad breath, you want there to be a little bit of breathing room. No breathing room. I, I The first person I'd ever encountered like that. And what you might not realize is that when we talk, little water droplets come out of our mouth. Have you, I don't know if you, you probably never noticed, because it's not spit. We're not spitting, but it, it's spit that's coming out of our mouths. It's a little water droplets, and so I'm standing there, he's this far, and now I'm feeling my face getting wet. Now it's not dripping yet, I just spit right then. It's not dripping yet, but I know it's going to one, you know, give him long enough, and I'm not comfortable with that. So, here he is, here I am, I take one step back. You know what he does? He takes one step up. So I said, okay, the guy's not sharp, so I'm gonna give him another shot at it. He'll catch it this time, one step back, no, came right up to my, I couldn't believe it. So the third deal, I did this. I put my left foot right here. Now, I'm having the conversation with him. I know, it looks dumb, it looks silly, but I think this is my only shot. What does he do? He comes around my left leg and water droplets. And I said, I'm done, I I can't do this. So, thinking quickly, I said, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I've gotta go, I'm supposed to be somewhere else. I didn't know where it was, but I'm supposed to be somewhere else. I said goodbye, thank you, and I, I didn't run, but I was running in my mind, all the way out the door. And I discovered, I had two more boundaries that I wasn't aware of. One is a close talker boundary. Now, I'm telling you, if somebody comes and wants prayer and gets shared, oh, they don't want other people to hear. No, that's a close talker that's right. Somebody wants to share a secret or something confidential and they whisper, that's right. But somebody wants to have casual conversation, you've got to give me two feet. And I realized that was something I didn't know was there. And I don't really enjoy having my face spit on. I realized that. I hadn't articulated it before, but I, I came. So you and I are learning boundaries that we have and some we don't even know about. And I think those are the moments you, when that anger comes up out of nowhere and you discover yet another boundary. So what do you do? How do you deal with this moment? Well, that's the second word, it's clamor, the word clamor. The second step is clamor. The word clamor means to complain, demand, or gripe. Now the truth is, that's not all wrong. There are times in which something is wrong that we need to speak into. And the Bible even acknowledges that. Jesus has two passages in the book of Matthew in which he talks about what is the right way to deal with a wrong thing. And he talks about it in saying, you've got to go to the person. You've got to address this issue. It could be called complaining, but it is something that needs to be addressed. And Jesus, in those two passages, even gives us some guidance for how do you do it. Well, you go to the person. You don't go all over the place. You go to the person. And if there is another person that could sort of help, you invite that person. And you go to the person and you deal with it. Now, there's a right way and probably not so right way of dealing with it. And this is just me. This isn't in the Bible. But... I think we ought to ask questions, not make statements, because when we make a statement of complaint, we're actually saying some things that maybe we're not meaning. It can be a complaint that is a statement and not a question, can be, I already have all the information and I know you're wrong, but the truth is we don't have all the information. A statement could be, I already know your motive, and I will tell you what your motive is, but we don't actually know their motive. And a statement tends to accuse. But questions are a different thing. If you walk into a confrontation, and it's a loving confrontation, and you ask questions, a question is admitting there may be more information that you have a perspective you have that I don't realize and I'm interested in what you have to say. You have a different opinion I'd love to hear how you form that opinion. I don't know any motives I'd love to better understand what you're thinking. Statements usually don't turn out well. Questions and then hearing the, actually hearing what they say, not formulating your next objection, but actually listening, that can really turn out well. We're living in a terrible time, I, I'm stunned by this time. We're living in an amazingly terrible time of cancel culture in which the idea is this, The only right way to look at anything is the way I see it. And anybody who has a different thought than me, I'm gonna cancel you. I'm gonna push you away. I will not listen. I won't even hear another thought. And anyone who disagrees with me is evil. And it can't turn out well. What's happening in our culture cannot turn out well. It is almost as though this country is trying to disintegrate from the inside out. So anger isn't necessarily wrong at all. And confrontation, especially a loving confrontation, is not wrong at all. But when a person goes through the anger and the loving confrontation and doesn't come to a sense of forgiveness, I don't agree with you, but we agree to disagree. Where did that phrase go? It's like like, uh, gone forever from our society. We used to be able to agree to disagree because we were grown-ups. But if that doesn't happen, I can't do it, I will not. I'm sorry, I, will, I, have a, I am angry and I'm not giving it up. It will always, always, always go to the next level. That is, slander is the next step. Slander is telling, is speaking a lie or even a truth about someone with the intent of hurting or discrediting that person. It has the intention of that. Clamor is we're we're talking, hopefully we're doing it right, we're talking to the person. But slander is talking to everybody else. And we want them to despise this person as much as we do. So what we do is we only tell part of the truth. We tell the part of the truth we like and we don't tell the other part of the truth that we don't like. Because we've got a goal, slander. And the next step that happens after slander is bitterness. The fourth step is bitterness itself. And bitterness is simply harbored anger and resentment that has developed because of us being either unwilling to forgive or an unwillingness to face personal guilt. When we say to God, or say to anybody, I'm not going to forgive you, or not gonna forgive, forgive that person. When we say those words, we're actually having doing a great amount of damage to us, and we don't realize it. Our relationship with our fellowship with God, we're damaging that. I refuse to forgive that person. We're doing more damage to us than we are anybody else. But sometimes what's actually happening is that the person is trying to hide guilt through blame. There is a connection between guilt and blame. When a person feels great guilt because of some personal failure, that person feels a lot of internal pressure. And to relieve that pressure of guilt, oftentimes a person tries to transfer the intensity of feelings outwardly towards somebody else in the form of bitterness. It is a way to appease and divert some of the guilt that we actually know is true about ourselves. And left to itself the fifth step is wrath. Wrath is just intense anger. It is, it is the paragosmos, it is the thumos, the explosion. We've taken anger way too far. And the sixth step is malice. Malice is the act against another with a desire to harm and retaliate. And we're stunned, aren't we? at the hearing the news every day we're stunned it's like we've all become crazy in this culture malice everywhere people killing each other shooting total strangers all of this happening out of a sense of malice we don't know the whole story that is behind it but we're seeing it in so many places it's like we've gone nuts And what it actually is, is an anger that went way too far. We should have stopped it. We could have stopped it. We didn't stop it. And he kept going, and he got all the way to malice. There's consequences to this. Consequences to bitterness. And one of the consequences is that there are emotional and mental consequences to bitterness. If there is someone that you are bitter against... And I will not forgive. What is actually happening is this person is becoming your master. You are becoming that person's slave. And don't even realize it. And here's why I say it. Because what you are doing now, you can't even get your mind off that person. And that person doesn't even think of you. They don't even think of that moment. They don't even think of any of that. And you are full of the whole remembrance of it and there's so much anger, and you rehearse it, and that person doesn't even remember it anymore. One person put it this way, I've had a few arguments with people but never carry a grudge, and so why? Because while I'm carrying a grudge, they're out dancing. I'm doing more harm to me than I'm ever doing to them I'm wounding myself with my bitterness. Revenge damages us spiritually. Jesus made this statement in Matthew 6, 14, 15, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And we wish this was not in the Bible, but there it is. And in fact, it's there many times. So what is he saying? There is never a change of relationship between us and God. He's our father, we are his child, and he's the one that secures that. But there is a change in fellowship. And we're the ones that control the fellowship. And here's what God says. You keep on the way you're going, and there is going to be this separation between you and me. And you can say it's not there, but it is there. Jesus is saying that. And what it means is that God withholds blessing. God withholds the answers to our prayers until we deal with this bitterness. That's what he's saying in Ephesians 4.30, verse 30, when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What happens is in our bitterness, there is a grief that comes and God just sort of, okay, we're going to have to deal with this issue before we go any further. There's a road back from bitterness, so let's take a look. First choose to stop and get back on the road to health. It means that you come to the other side of bitterness by a decision you make, not an emotion you have because our emotions are all telling us to retaliate and everything else but we don't let our emotions control our lives it will never lead us in the right direction we can't feel our way into doing we have to do our way into feeling because feelings will always lead you wrong they will always lead you in the wrong direction and somebody can say well if I do this I'll be a hypocrite. I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel. That's not how I feel inside. I can't do that. I'll be a hypocrite. You won't be a hypocrite. You'll be obedient. You'll be an obedient to God. Your feelings will always lead you in the wrong direction. No, listen to what God tells you and obey. And he'll always lead you in the right direction. Second of all, choose to be kind to others even when you don't want to be. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Uh, the last one I didn't fill in the blank was was, let all bitterness be put away from you. It is a command. And the same way with this, be kind is a command. And God would never command us to do something we couldn't do. We may not want to do it, and it may be hard to do it, but we can be kind to a person who has not been kind to us. So, I, what I came to understand in college was kindness is an action, it's not a thought. It's not thinking, it's doing. Kindness is an action. Uh, I had a guy that, um, I don't know, He and I never had a conversation with each other. I don't even know the guy, but he did not like me. And he let me know. I mean, I couldn't believe the kind of a hostility when I was around him. I didn't know who the guy was, but he did not like me. And sometimes they're just personality clashes. You don't even know it's happening. But, wow, I kept running into the guy, and he kept showing me, man, I just can't stand you. I didn't know what to do with that. So I I don't know whether it was a Bible study that I was doing, or quiet time, or a sermon I heard, I don't know what it was, but the whole idea of kindness being an action, and that you have to decide to do actions that don't fit your feelings, and God said, I want you to be kind to this nincompoop that's treating me this way, and I I thought, I, I can't be kind to this guy, but... Be, you have to. So here is what I said to God. God, first of all, I will never feel kindness toward this guy. But if you tell me to do a kind act, by the way, I am not going to think about this. I'm not going to study ways in which I could be kind. I couldn't drum it up. But I said, if you will give me ways in which I need to be kind to the guy, I will do it. I won't feel anything, but I will do it about that for obedience? Um, It's sort of fighting him all the way. So I'm around the guy, and this thought comes into my head, and I'm like, oh, God, right. But I had already made the promise, so I did. I was kind in the way that came in my mind, and he was shocked. I was shocked too, and I gritted my teeth the whole time, but I did a kindness toward this guy. Next time I'm around him, I do another kindness, and then another kindness, and I keep running into him. I'm trying to figure out where's he gonna be so I can be somewhere else, but there he is. And every time this thought came into my mind of how I could be kind, so I was. And do you know that it came to, a, it was a whole semester, whole thing. And what happened to me is that I changed my feelings. My feelings changed. And what was the amazing thing is, his changed. And now, all of a sudden, he's being kind to me. We actually became friends. And we hung out together. When I was with all my friends, I invited him to come. And I kind of enjoyed the guy. I thought he was a a good guy. And God changed that whole thing by obedience. Be kind, it's, it's a command. Be tender-hearted, he says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. All of these are commands. They're not acts of emotion, they're commands. Louis Zamperini was a, a World War II veteran he served in the South Pacific where my dad served and um, he became a prisoner of war he was captured he was sent back by boat to Japan into a concentration camp and he was beaten on a regular basis it was sort of like every week and a half every 10 days we beat him up and he was tortured and it was horrible By the time the war was over and he was freed and he came back to the United States, he was a broken and an embittered man. And He came to a place of thinking, what's the use of living? But somebody invited him to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles, it's sort of a famous crusade that happened there in Los Angeles and so he went, I don't know, maybe last desperation, he heard the gospel for the first time, he accepted Christ as his savior. And his whole life was changed. And he came to understand his forgiveness, the forgiveness God had given to him. His whole nature began to change. And there was a day that God dealt with his bitterness toward those people that was understood that had tortured him. And... Not only did he forgive, he took it another step. He got on a plane and flew to Japan, and I don't know how you do He could possibly do this, but he came to know, I think he knew the names of the people that had tortured him, but he came to find out where every one of them lived. How? I haven't read the book. But he went to every single person, and he told them what God had done in his life. And the change that had happened, and he confronted the torture and told them he had already forgiven them. And then he shared Jesus Christ and how they could know Christ as their Savior. All of this became a book called Unbroken. Unbroken. That was on the bestsellers list at one time. So here's my question. See, you have a story that you and God are writing that's called your life. So what's coming in your story? He's wanting to bring you to forgiveness. He's wanting your broken relationships to be healed. And he's offering his power. Would you let that become a part of your story? Let's pray. Lord, I ask you, To move in people's hearts today that don't know Christ, that they'd come to know Jesus as their Savior, that do know Christ, that they would yield to Jesus Christ as their Lord. And Father, that you would help us as we deal with the broken places of our life to come to healing, including relationships. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.